I had some coffee. I now feel like I'm ready to do this. Chugs Celsius in victory, hoping. Chugs from Lewis Hamilton mug while wearing Lewis Hamilton world champion shirt and Lewis Hamilton hat to manifest positive things. Cole and Brown are lined up on the grid. It's lights out and away we go. This week's grid walk. Well, there was a race last weekend, and, and I guess we have to talk about it because that's what we do every week, uh, unless the FIA deletes this episode for track limits. Five seconds for track limits attorney. Thank you, voiceover man. Before we get started, a reminder up front, don't forget to follow the podcast wherever you're listening to it, subscribe on YouTube, leave us a comment or a review. Uh, for this week, let us know which of the many track limits solutions we're going to discuss is your favorite option for F1. But today, episode 24, the Kobe Bryant episode of Gridwalk. Also the Joe Guan Yu episode. Yes, which is one of my favorite fun facts is that he uh, drives under 24 because he loves Kobe Bryant. All right, today, though, we're going to see who bought a ticket at the Frustration Station after the Austrian GP, a race that gave us plenty of headlines, but none of them seem to have anything to do with the actual racing or on-track performance. We're going to then take the train from the Frustration Station. <laughs> we're then going to take the... Str- I can't believe I wrote this line. This is like one of those lines where I'm like, oh my gosh. We then take the train from Frustration Station into the wild to examine the zebras of Formula One and their decisions or lack thereof. We review all the possible solutions for track limit monitoring and what what do other racing series use? What can F1 learn from other sports? Because there are a lot of ways that this problem can be solved. So we're going to talk about all of them. We then turn our attention to Sir Lewis Hamilton Grand Prix. It's Lewis Hamilton week. What teams are bringing upgrades? How does this circuit differ from last week at the Red Bull ring? And of course, we will make our predictions for the race. I think I've been putting it off long enough now, though. All aboard to Frustration Station. Attention all passengers. The train is now approaching Frustration Station. All ticket purchasers, please report to track eight. I like that we can laugh now because I definitely wasn't laughing necessarily on Sunday while watching this race. I was screaming, screaming. I was so angry. I felt so frustrated for because it's the best word to use. It was an unenjoyable experience to watch despite like like I'm not even upset about who got penalties or that there were penalties. It was the uh, way that it, the story of the race had to be told because the way the stewarding was being administered. And it was, it was like they decided midway through the race that they were going to care about track limits. And then they were only going to care about it when someone complained over the radio about it. And it just the entire it made the experience unpleasant. Yeah, I was in the frustration like, station. It felt like we were watching um, that kid in class that starts caring like halfway through the semester. They're like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna fail this pro- like this class if I don't start like turning in things. What is the homework that I missed and need to catch up with like now?" on all this stuff. I, and and then it was just like a scramble to finish it and just oh we didn't have time to review all these things it's like do better fix this i it was so I, I, not the not the way i wasn't wanted fun. to be watching the race and 
not what, again, to your point, what I wanted to be listening people talking about during the race. This is the FIA's doing. If they only review things when drivers complain over the radio and it gets played on the live feed, what are the drivers going to do more of? Complain over the live feed? <laughs> but there, there were other frustrations. So yeah. who's our first passenger at the frustration station? Who's bought a ticket? Carlos Sainz, please report to track eight at frustration station. Your train is almost ready to depart. So actually the inspiration to this segment while watching the race I had in my brain was before all of the madness of uh, the crazy track limit penalties calling was Carlos Sainz <laughs> and just his oh, existence with Ferrari and just his entire radio with Ferrari between when to pit and long pit stops and it was just i felt like it was watching a slow like catching like a slow house catching fire like it was just oh couldn't accident waiting to happen charles and carlos were uh one after another on track when the race started carlos had more pace which isn't normally the case but he did but then he wasn't allowed to pass his teammate but we had to hear them go back and forth on the radio three or four times where again we had to listen to a ferrari engineer go i don't know i'll get back to you instead hold of like position. hold up well there's but that's just, at least you know, him for right now for right yeah but it, it was always like a for right now just keep doing what you're doing with like the implication of like i'll let you know like but it, it was, was not a i'll let you yeah. know it was just like a I don't know what's going on. It always comes across as, I don't know what's going on. I'll get back to you. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of, please hold, please hold, please hold. I'll get back to you. So then when the uh, safety car came out and they needed to decide what to do, Ferrari has proven this season that they are incapable of splitting the strategies, which is driving me crazy because the car is not as fast as Max's Red Bull. It's just not. So if there was a chance to win this race, you split the strategies. And yes, would that mean one of your drivers is going to finish higher than the other, maybe to some extreme degree? Yes. But what they did is they pit both of them back to back in a double stack at the end of the safety car, which means not only did Carlos have a long stop, but he didn't actually get the benefit of pitting under the safety car because he pit after Carlo, after Charles did, uh, God, the C's so hard. <laughs> Carlos, Charles, and but maybe he could have finished on the podium in front of Checo if he wasn't screwed by the strategy. Now, of course, penalties, blah blah blah. It would have all been taken away anyway. I'm not talking about that. It's just this is the second race week in a row where Ferrari has been unable to split their strategies and Carlos has gotten a strategy that didn't make sense for his position on track because they can only think about one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They were like, ah, okay, pit stop. Okay, well, Charles is in front of Carlos right now, so he goes in first. And obviously we just do the same time and then they go and then everything will just be fine. No, no, no. It's like you think that they're going to have them walking, like running into the pit lane, holding hands. It's insane. They can't split strategy like that. They just will not let themselves. Uh, but yeah, this was again all before 
the penalty madness started, I was like, wow, you could just hear how unbelievably annoyed and angry Carlos is on the radio of just let me pass. I have the pace. I have the pace. And you could see that it was there. And then it just all went away so very fast and a strategy screw over. You know, it's a bad week when I'm looking at our list of frustration station passengers and Charles Leclerc is not on it. Charles Leclerc, please report to track eight at frustration station. Your train is almost ready to depart. So before we move off Ferrari, can I just, can we all do a moment of silence for the fact that Ferrari actually pitched to their driver a three stop in a race? with the longest pit delta, where it would make most sense to make a one-stop work if it was anywhere feasible or possible. And Charles, over the radio, in the moment, had to, like, freak out to his engineer. And, like, you could hear him. He was essentially like, is this a joke? No, no, no. Are you breaking me? We're not going to do that. Like, in what world? Like, like... Again, another one that we don't have on this list. But in what world did Aston Martin think, you know what we need to do? We need to pit Lance Stroll three times in a race where you want to pit the least amount possible. Lance Stroll, please report to track eight at Frustration Station. Your train is getting ready to leave. Like, so I am fresh. Like, both of those deserve a ticket. There's just too many other good things to talk about. But before we got off Ferrari... I just needed to mention that the only way Ferrari decided to think about doing two different strategies this week was to give Charles Leclerc a three-stop race. And it was, like, when he was in P1 for that, like, tiny, like, unbelievable The little blip. No one knew, like... You know, except for Charles, like, I can do this, I can can hold him, I can can do it, which, like, not that, I mean, I'll speak for myself, I knew, I knew that wasn't gonna last, Max was just like, da-na-da-na-na-na, and then, like, goes, but at that timing of, you know, oh, we're considering this, no, 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 it was, I could not believe the draw on floor. They could have thrown away both of their podium spots in that moment. I, I'm actually really proud of Charles for finally not just listening to the team. This is technically, we're having this conversation on technically a good weekend for Ferrari. Which, I, it was not a good weekend. This is, I don't, like, I don't care about the stupid podium because no one's competing with Max, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, guess what's going to happen? If Ferrari makes a faster car, they're going to go back to doing what they did before, which was losing out in strategy of hit stops and everything intangible. And their tires <laughs> are just going to, like, be eaten away anyway, so it doesn't even matter. Oh, this is this weekend. Oof. Lewis Hamilton, please report to track eight at Frustration Station. Your train is getting ready to leave. I was a frustrated Lewis Hamilton fan. It was just frustrating race for Lewis in so many directions that I just wanted to fast forward to Silverstone. I was I was so after the sprint shootout, I was like, "Mm -mm, I'm done. Okay. I'm ready. And not, again, not that it really meant Saturday didn't really like mean anything in the overall grand <laughs> scheme of things, but I was just Sprints like... Sprints never do. I just didn't... I, it was done. I didn't feel good about it. It made me grumpy for Sunday, and then I was just grumpy Sunday watching the race and hearing other drivers policing other drivers and hearing... Lewis continuously be frustrated about the car on the radio. 
Um, now, I, I will confess that I spent that much time talking about the Ferrari situation because I was avoiding what I knew it was next. The next ticket sold here. Yeah, you. the conversation felt to a natural end and it was like we were both like, hey, now we have to kind of talk about how this was not a good yeah. race for Sir Lewis. Well, um, I don't... Or not I like think a that's bad unfair. race. I don't think, I think it was... It wasn't a good race for Mercedes because a bad race for Lewis Hamilton, he still was significantly faster than George Russell the entire time. Right. He, despite the penalties putting him behind, but like that was like, no, no, he was faster than George all weekend. Yeah, I, it was just the car didn't have pace in Austria this weekend. And to be fair, that track's always been a boogie track for Mercedes to some degree. Um, I think it's important. All right. Welcome. Hold on. Nicole, where's the hope alarm? Get it ready. Oh no. Welcome oh, no. to the coping corner. Here we shall cope together. All right. It is always a boogie trap track for Mercedes. I don't think we expected it to go that bad, but a track that they're not traditionally good at with high altitudes that they don't build the car around like Mercedes, uh, like, we know Mercedes goes well at a track like Barcelona. This was not going to be a track like that. Um, also, something that happens in Austria every year is the lap is so short with so many predominantly straights that it really does bring the field together. You'll notice, like, there were headlines everywhere that, like, the difference between P1 and P20 was eight tenths. Like, I don't think we're going to see that anywhere else. All of this means that if the team doesn't get the setup right in on a sprint weekend where there is only one hour of practice, yeah, it's going to suck all weekend. And guess what? Mercedes didn't get the setup right after one hour of practice, and it sucked. It really, really sucked. So I, in the moment, I, wanted, I was really upset and you and I spoke afterwards and during and throughout the whole thing and I think we both just wanted to claw our own eyes out we were like just let it be over like let this pain be over but upon reflection I don't think we are seeing this we are moving into what is supposed to be and what is likely to be Mercedes best race track situation of the entire year if it goes badly this weekend at a track that is like designed to suit their car, I will be worried. But right now, I'm not like panicked. I'm just, I want to forget it ever happened. I was like waiting for the butt. Like the alarm is coming. It's like these are all very fair and real things about the situation <laughs> that Mercedes had to live through and we had to watch and witness them go through. And there was a butt coming because it was just, I feel like for a while we've been, but Silverstone, but Silverstone will have upgrades, but Silverstone, there'll be new tires, but Silverstone, we like Silverstone, Silverstone provides us. Oh, the us new tires good. won't help them. We'll talk about that. Well, later. like we, but right, yeah. right. Just lots of up in the air, like yeah. things can be different than it can be now. Um, and obviously Red Bull Ring was not giving us that at all. Um, no. And... Yeah, Toto's, uh, Toto's radio. Toto's radio. I mean, it was exactly, but you know what? Lewis was what we were all feeling of like, cars, no pace, cars, no pace. And Toto was like, that, you know, just needed to say it. I know, and I know. 
the car is bad. Just just drive. And I'm just like... Yeah. Lewis is in the frustration station because that car sucked last weekend. Yeah. And he needs a better car. Please and thank you. Please and thank you. And announce a contract extension so that you can do it. Please and thank you. It's weird to... Yeah, like, I heard that's not coming out. this week. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't believe it would be coming after, like being trapped in this car this weekend either you know yeah lewis was like i need x number more whatever that is he's like if you're gonna give me this car i need more thank you yeah yuki sonoda please report to track eight at frustration station your train is getting ready to depart um so kind of also throwing to another person being trapped in a I guess say a car right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's been so much speculation around Yuki and, you know, like, oh, he's going into the Red Bull scene and this, that, whatever. So I just feel like Yuki probably owns a frustration station most weekends and different things like that. But particularly going into this weekend when he was such a hot topic of conversation across the board in Formula One and Checo wasn't really a topic of conversation besides being... The topic of conversation slow. is him not being a topic of conversation. Yeah, him being, like, really slow. And then it kind of seemed almost immediately that there was, like, a flip in the universe back on that. Um, just a hard time to be at AlphaTauri. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if people were looking and expecting Yuki Sonoda, like, with all of that talk to do, like, perform any higher than he did this weekend, like... Yuki Tsunoda fighting for points this year has been a miracle because that car is so bad. So, like, yeah, I think Yuki Tsunoda is definitely at the frustration station, and that station is looking for a ticket out of AlphaTauri as fast as possible, whether that's to the Red Bull or somewhere else. But I think, I don't think there was anything about Yuki's skill this weekend. Like, I don't think anything, like, thing changed. Like, someone should mm -hmm. still give him a seat that's not that Alphatari, and I don't think Red Bull actually has any other choices but Yuki for that up Red Bull upgrade, because they haven't been developing junior drivers. So... What do you mean? Checo's great. Checo's fine. Checo's, Checo's suddenly here, maybe... Again... I... Checo finished behind the Ferrari. The Ferrari that wanted to do three stops. Uh-huh. We watched Checo get passed by Nico Hulkenberg in a Haas during the sprint race. Sergio Perez, please report to track 8 at Frustration Station. Your train is almost ready to depart. I thought I was still dreaming. Literally watching that, I was like, what is this? This is a, such a bizarre combination of vehicles. And I'm literally seeing a Haas <laughs> pass a what? what yeah no really definitely bad um checo benefited from the fact that mercedes and aston both dropped the ball this week mm -hmm. neither mercedes nor aston got the setup right were able to perform at this circuit at the level that they should have been and therefore the gap between checo and max was filled by less cars this week Nicole Katz, please report to track 8 at Frustration Station. Brianna Klein, please report to track 8 at Frustration Station. F1 fans, please report to track 8 at Frustration Station. Voiceover guy, please report to track 8 at Frustration Station. Your train is getting ready to depart. I find it frustrating the constant policing or drivers playing stewards on the radio. And maybe it's more just like I'm sure like everyone was starting to do it. But it's also which ones were 
particularly selected to be aired on the broadcast. So then which ones were continuously aired on broadcast really made it seem like that particular driver or drivers was doing it more than everyone was. And it's just so not, I'm like, okay, I don't need this to be your discussion on the radio. This is going to be the radio broadcast that I get on the radio. It's just like what you're seeing. It's like fantastic. No, this isn't what your job is to do. That's not what I want to hear you be talking about. As, as F1 fans, I think we've all collectively been calling for better stewarding, a better following of the regulations during races. And we want all of that. And then it almost felt like the FIA were like laughing at us. Like, oh, you want that? All right. Well, we're going to do exactly what you said. And it's going to be awful. And it's like, no, no, no. We wanted you to do your job well. <laughs> um, but to your point, like it all... It was all inconsistent and poorly done, which made, which is also what made it so frustrating. I really felt in lifetime and upon reflection, so in, in both stages of my brain, as if the race control and stewards got themselves into a pickle that they realized they couldn't back out of. So Lando is complaining, complaining, complaining over the radio about Lewis. It's being aired on the feet. And the stewards then looked at it because Lando was complaining. And this, by the way, has happened across the races. And it's driven me crazy, but we just got it to an extreme degree in this race. And the stewards are like, fine, Lando, you're complaining. We'll look at that. Oh, okay, it's true. We'll give Lewis a penalty. So then everyone looks at each other and goes, oh, so you'll review anything we complain about unless it comes out of Lewis Hamilton's mouth? Okay, very cool. So then everyone starts to complain and the stewards go, oh crap, we created this for ourselves. And that's why if you feel like you're watching these races and over the last year-ish, there's been an uptick of drivers on the radio uh, being like, oh wow, that, that rear wing looks really dangerous. Someone should look at that. It's because the stewards have put themselves in the situation where they only review things if someone complains. And all that does is create more complaining and it creates the feeling of inconsistency that is actually happening because they're only reviewing what's being complained. So of course, when you get to the end of the race and Aston Martin looks around and they go, huh, everyone went off track limits. And guess what we could do? If we submit a thing, then they have to review that. And then we get the notice that the stewards have to review 1200 instances of track limits because Aston complained in order to figure out what the race actually was. Like, and that all started because they went, okay, Lando, you're complaining a lot. We'll go give Lewis Hamilton a penalty for you. Like, I want to watch athletes get every advantage they can get. That is part of their job description and their MO. I hate watching refs be incompetent where the best way to get that edge is by whining and complaining and it's just like, go, like just it makes me want to chuck my computer across the room and it makes me dislike all of them. I'm like, just go away. I don't want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, no, it literally creates like a tattletale parade. Like right. that's, and no one likes and it's a tattletale. Like that's literally what it is. And you're so right that it's, they're only, they just started to only review what, everyone was complaining about because then it was like on TV and then it was people were talking about it online or that's just how it was getting their attention and different things like that. But it just then created 
that was the only discourse that we were hearing and i was so sick and tired of it by the end like across the board everyone was talking about it down like max was complaining about it i mean not that he's not that he needed to but he still was right well and also that it's not like the first time he's been discussed discussing track limits on the radio whatever yeah, I was frustrated. It was really annoying. I'm hoping that there's just a different way to go about and handle all of this because it really was ruining the racing, race-watching experience. Welcome to an Into the Wild segment. So essentially, zebra, like, essentially referees in other sports wear black and white, so they're called the zebras. The FIA are the zebras of F1 because they're the referees. So we are into the wild. We also think that most of their decisions are wild and inconsistent and feel like we're in a jungle. Woo, here we are. So since we have left the frustration station and my brain, you know, went on a three-mile hike and really tried to expel some energy and yes, frustration we myself. Let it out. We let it right. all out. Then I had to go to, all right, we have to fix this problem. And I have brought for Into the Wild segment today um, various solutions and research done about how can we fix this problem. Um, now, we will circle back to the question I'm about to ask at the end of this, after we run through all the questions. But I do think a fundamental flaw in having this conversation is, does the FIA actually care to fix their stewarding in this area? Do they care to actually get better at this? Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but we are going to go into this conversation assuming they do. And these are providing options in that direction. Because as fans, I, I would like this to get better, and I would like to believe they would want to get better. Um, a couple of other bases to these tra track limit solutions. Uh, safety, if, a, if there is a solution, but it is fundamentally unsafe, it's not going to be a solution we like or want to talk about here. Uh, also, I don't think DNFs are fun. So if it's unsafe and or just creates a massive uptick in DNFs, you'll probably hear us not like it so much. Uh, another foundation is we want the stewards to apply the rules correctly and consistently during F1 races. We are never in favor of the, well, drivers should just do better. No, no, no. Drivers are going to take every advantage they want. I want my refs to do things well and to police them correctly. Uh, so again, if you're thinking that, that's your argument. This isn't going to be the discussion or place for you. And the third one is that drivers and teams will take advantage of everything. We are not in the, the gentleman era of the 60s, as if we're pretending like drivers and teams didn't cheat all the time then, too. The reason we have refs is to do this. So I don't know why we put it on anyone other than the refs and the FIA to correctly steward and control their races. So... Fundamental basis here. If you still want, you can go scream in the comments. It helps the algorithm. Thank you. Okay. So to recap here, I did a bunch of foundational research on what is the current situation? What is actually going on in the FIA and in the race control? What are the stewards doing during a race to the extent that they have told us what they're doing? So they have a race control room with tons of photo and video feeds that they are reviewing manually for this. 
So someone needs to see something in those photo video feeds, then they will take that and give that to someone and they will review and with their eyeballs and the photo video that they have, determine was that track limits. I think a big issue with this is how inaccurate and subjective it can be. But you're always going to have an element of that in refereeing a sport. Like it's, that it, there's human nature to this and that's okay. There's not going to be a perfect uh, computer that can do this with the mm -hmm. tech that we have either. But I think the bigger issue is the rate and speed at which they can do what I just said. Um, so the, you need a lot of people to be able to review nearly 1,500 laps at 10 quarters for an entire race. So there's, there's a speed issue here. Um, that is also not even including all the other things they need to watch for. So, you know, pit lane infringements, like racing incidents, uh, you know, do you need to give someone the meatball flag, which we haven't really seen this season. Uh, like there are so many other things that they need to look for that we're talking about like hundreds of thousands of data points that need to be reviewed by these people that is only coming in via photo video right now. Now, post 2021, when the FIA did their, uh, you know, review of their practices, they said that they were implementing uh, a video assistant referee referred to as VAR. Uh, this is something that I think a lot of soccer fans will know and hear more than like American fans. So like, you know, European football fans know a lot about VAR. What now a video assistant referee, like what it essentially is, is computer algorithms assisting the referee. That is not what F1 said they were going to or did implement. What F1 is calling their VAR is essentially a remote operations center. Um, and I'm going to read a quote here from uh, the Autosport announcement from March of 2022 that was announcing that the FIA was going to do this. Um, While similar in principle to the VAR in football, the ROC, which is the Remote Operations Center, will act as a supporting resource for the race direction team with data comparable to that of more than 10 simultaneous football matches, including over 140 video and audio sources. Now, it goes on to say that this race remote operations center, though, has no stewarding or race control power. So it was incredibly unclear to me at the time, and now upon revisiting this, what the point of having them there is if they can't help or like even signal to the race control team, like, hey, like if the remote operations center was going through like, hey, you're all just going to look at turn 10 and then they were sending those to the stewards, that would make a lot of sense to me. But I don't think that's what's happening here and I'm a little unclear what they're actually doing. So then I've been trying to find people following up on what is happening. The, the limited information about this remote operations center is unreal. There were about 12 articles in the history made about this that I could find from reputable journalists. And this is over a year and a half of this thing existing and I could find 12 articles. So in November of last year, which was right after the Japanese Grand Prix, the race wrote an article where they referenced F1's VAR and really was just talking about how 
last year's stewarding and penalty and all of it was like worse than they could even remember. So actually it was the race commenting that they don't know what the VAR is doing or how it's helping. The, right, the most recent mention of VAR in F1 was after a piece of the flying Kevin Magnuson car went and injured the fan. They, uh, the FIA was quoted as saying they'll use the footage that the VAR, their VAR has to review the accident and improve safety in the future. Which to me is not VAR, that's just having footage. Yeah, now I was like, I don't understand what I, my, from what I was understanding, the VAR does, doesn't have that, but uh, right. I don't. So I'm VAR, confused. video assistant referee, doesn't exist in F1. At least based on the documentation that is accessible and out there. Now, I would implore some journalists to stick their head in there and like, see what they like, like, I'm not a journalist, I can't do that. But you know, those of you who are there, like, could someone give us an update on what this remote operation center is actually doing? Because the only update we've gotten is that they're helping after races for the FIA to improve safety, which I'm not saying isn't needed. That is totally needed. But I wanted to give a foundation for the current situation of what is going on that is publicly accessible in F1's race stewarding. Before we get into how do how the F do we fix this? I have come to the conclusion that there are three options based on other sports. One, we create a system with enough stewards that allows them to manually review track limits in, in a timely and consistent manner via the photo, photo video way they're doing now. I think the big, like, they're doing this in a way that's an incredible lift with not enough people to do it. And I think we, you and I criticize the FIA all the time, but we're really criticizing high leadership. I think the stewards and race control are doing the best they can, but they seem severely understaffed and undertooled to do their job well, which is why it seems like the race control after the race was like, yeah, we have this giant stack of things we want to go through. Can we please? And thankfully, Aston Martin was like, can you please? And the FIA was like, damn, fine. Okay. Yeah, so, but I'm, I'm just imagining the, the, team of the size of the, te the team that they would need in order to review all of those things. But yeah, the it, the 1,200 instances to review statement definitely had like the energy of like a manager standing up for its people of like, we are doing the best we can. This is what we have to do. So right. you leave us alone. I said there's three options and option one was improve the current situation. I wouldn't recommend only that. And the reality is I think a combination of all three of these options might work. But, I feel like in almost every work scenario entirely, the answer of more manpower or more, like, team members, like, usually can really, really help. So I think that's fair to say across the board. Yeah. <laughs> Give the team more resources. Normally, that's a good answer to start with. The second option I see a lot of people really talking about as like this quick, easy fix. And it's provide a physical barrier that makes track limits physically impossible or incredibly punitive for the driver or team. And you'll hear people talk about sausage curves, gravel traps, grass, and or a wall. So I'm gonna quickly run through why I hate all four of these options. Um, wall, we have circuits with walls. and. Sometimes it's fun to not have circuits with walls that are street tracks, so it would really suck if F1 only went to circuits with walls. Uh, two, sausage curves. 
They launch cars. They are incredibly unsafe. We should just never see a sausage curve ever on any circuit ever. Three, gravel traps. Gravel traps are not as unsafe as sausage curves, but they create situations where cars flip. Like, Joe Yu's car went flying and then was flipping like that, not exclusively because of all this, these external factors. It was also partially because of the gravel. And that's what gravel does. It creates flip opportunities. So does grass, which was the fourth option. Gravel traps also make it more likely that a driver DNFs and it wrecks cars. And in a cost cap era, the last thing I want to see is teams having to divert funds to fix cars away from upgrades to catch up to the teams in the front. I also just don't think DNFs are fun when cars get stuck in gravel traps. That doesn't improve a situation for me. So while, yes, technically all four of these things would just mean like, oh, well, no one's going to do track limits, but they're unsafe and they're not fun. And I think we could just, again, it all goes back to, can the FIA just do their job correctly? We don't need to fix things for the FIA. They just need to do their job better. <laughs> so that leads me to some kind of technology assist. We're always going to have people refereeing. They're probably just going to need to hire more stewards and people in race control. But that doesn't mean there can't be a technology assist. And this was the real fun I had in the research. So I started looking at what other race series did for starters. And MotoGP actually implemented really cool tech where at key corners of the circuits they go to, they include pressure tubes. So if you go off track, you will put pressure on this tube later on the track, and then it will just get pinged to race control. Then race control has a list of things where things got pinged, and they can review each instance. And you hear the FIA talk about how they actually implement that, and they have leniency that's specifically communicated to the drivers. So things like turn one, like if turn one at the start of the race for lap one, they say as long as you don't create a lasting advantage for yourself, you're not going to get ticked like four track limits there. They're not going to give you a penalty because, you know, John Smith po pushed off, you know, Sally Sue. So like Sally, like that's not, Sally Sue's not going to get a track limits penalty because John Smith was a dick. Like, <laughs> so they still review them all manually, but they don't have to be looking for them and identify the opportunities themselves because, you know, the, the motorcycle with the person on it weighs enough that it triggers the pressure. Like the a sensor. notification or it's like yes. when you go through a red light, camera or something like that this just seems like such an easy automatic answer i'm like how what okay done next great solve this solution yeah now i will point out that if we put this in f1 it is not the cheapest solution and they would need to create a way to figure out where to put it to uh because you know f1 cars do have uh four tires instead of two so we're we're talking about uh, a greater width here. And we don't just want it to ping every time like two tires are put off track because that's not track limits in F1. So it is a little complicated. There would need to be a very specific F1 solution like a here. sensor on like both tires would need to like cross over like the yeah. thing and the, yeah, okay, now it's getting complicated in my brain and past the technology that I understand. Not that I, I, I mean, pressure tubes I understand, but like pressure, ah. Touches, yeah. pass, got it, got it. But the technology exists, and there are so many really smart people who could take that technology and be like, here's how we're going to implement it in FY. Then I started looking at what other sports do. 
Um, I will point, and there's just cool tech in this area all around refereeing. And it made me really frustrated that the quote unquote pinnacle of motorsports is so behind in this area because every single sport I looked into is using some of the revolutionary tech I'm going to get into here. Um, so, and by the way, when I say revolutionary, I mean things that have been implemented in other sports for 30 years, just so we're clear. Um, in cricket, they have a thing called a snickometer which uses sound waves to detect whether a ball went off the side of their bat. And so uh, essentially all the footy, the photo video gets put into this meet, this snickometer, and they can look at the waveforms and they know what it looks like. They know what the sound looks like when it hits a bat versus the ball hitting something else. That's crazy. Isn't that a great solution? Yes. Uh, now, again, I don't know one-to-one -one application for F1. You would probably create a runoff area where if it's run over, it creates a different sound. So it's mm -hmm. possible. Technology exists to do something with sound. This also led me into a whole area about Hawkeye innovations. So if you've ever watched tennis and there's a challenge and then they review where the ball hit and they have this really cool tech where it visualizes it for you that's hawkeye innovation so what it essentially that tech is is that they have stationary cameras set up at every single angle and then this algorithm can input all that data and calculate to the measurement of three millimeters 3.6 millimeters is the uh, gray area for this, the direction of where the ball would have hit, and then it visualizes that for not only the referees, but us viewing on TV. And you know what's like, like a, if it is accurate enough to 3.6 millimeters, I really think that's enough accuracy to determine if a giant F1 car went off track. Physics is crazy. <laughs> so how that would need to be uh, done in F1 is they would need to set up a ton of stationary cameras around whatever corner they want to look at and then it would trigger an alert like hey we think this is one and the steward would have the data and be like yes no yes no yes no so there is um there is a cost of them having to set up the cameras everywhere they go but yeah we're, we're not trying to save the FIA money here okay yeah that's not the goal here this is the solution this isn't you know budget in class this is the same technology that they use in hockey and in soccer for goal line technology to determine whether or not the puck or the ball actually went into the net because you know sometimes it, a hockey puck gets sent into the net and just because of physics it ricochets out like you don't know the details in soccer did it actually go in the way it was supposed to this goal line technology is Hawkeye Innovations. The NFL also has implemented, implemented this. So what the NFL uses Hawkeye Innovations for is that when the refs have to review something, it automatically syncs up every single video camera feed. So if you ever see like, oh, was that a catch or not? Or was that a touchdown or not? And they're going to all these different angles. The ref actually gets them all synced up together so they can like correlate things perfectly. Again, technology assist. That's what we're talking about. Like make the jobs of the stewards easier. Another really cool area is that NASCAR uses Hawkeye Innovation. So a racing series. One of the big things they use this for is pit lane monitoring. 
But what I thought was so cool about their use of Hawkeye Innovations is that they're using machine learning to teach these algorithms what a mistake is. So Hawkeye's software just pings the stewards. Hey, I think there was an infraction here. So in NASCAR, I've learned that um, in a pit stop, there's a certain point where people have to be behind the wall and then they can come out from the wall and perform the pit stop. So they have these cameras set up and this machine learning algorithm that says, oh, I think this person here that's surrounded in a box came out too soon. And then a steward just has to review what the machine told it was triggered were penalties. Lastly, Formula E has also tested out uh, Hawkeye innovations for track limits specifically. I think it had um, that weekend was a rough weekend for that circuit. They tried it out when they went to a brand new circuit in India. It doesn't seem like anyone had complaints about the track limits issue. They just didn't like the circuit. So all the uh, coverage was about that. But this leads me to the solution I think they actually need to do. And it is lasers. And this was brought to my attention by a fantastic uh, actually LinkedIn blog written by Lucas Degrassi, who's a current Formula E driver. He has a lot of experience across multiple different racing series. Um, and he, his article about this brought my attention to, wow, oh my gosh, this is the solution. It is the cheapest solution. It is the easiest solution. It combines everything we're talking about. Lasers sound cool too. If you are only listening, I would recommend going over to YouTube right now because there's gonna be a visual example of what we are watching here or what we're talking about here. But uh, I will do my best to explain it verbally anyway. Uh, all right, what we're looking at is a graphic with the track and a white line that is the track limits for the white line. And we have an F1 car that does have a little red dot in the middle. And this is our sensor. So the proposal is there are lasers that can pick up difference in paint. So this is a car, you have a laser right in the center of it. It's going down the track, it's doing, it's doing its business. The yellow line here, it represents the full width of an F1 car in regulations. And then you have the half width of an F1 car in regulations with this red line. Now these things are all standard. We can fit a laser to the center of an F1 car and then we know how wide it's allowed to be in the regulations. So what you can do is after the white line, you can measure out like the width of an F1 car and the half width of an F1 car. And then you can paint a different colored line down the, the distance of half of an F1 car. Uh, now, I'm using half of an F1 car here, for example. Obviously, you just need the sensor to line up. I put a sensor in the center of a car, therefore I'm putting the putting line halfway through an F1 car. Right. You can put the sensor anywhere. Right. Um, so, and the example we're visually looking at is a straight line. It is very unlikely that this would be done in a straight line fashion, but the con, I just want to make it visually easy to understand. But the concept is, imagine the Austrian track, you have turn 10 and then at the same distance and radius around turn 10 you just draw a line in the color that the sensor is programmed to pick up at the correct distance so then let's say an f1 car is driving down the road we have this like secondary we have the track limits line but then we have the detection line and oh no the car went over for track limits 
But since it went over, it was detected. And then all and then all the stewards get a ping of Lewis Hamilton went off at turn 10 because the sensor picked it up. And then they're able to pull it up and confirm it because we want human review of these things. These aren't all like computer and technology is only good as the human wielding it. So that way they're not having to sit there staring at a camera going, did they go off? Did they go off? It's like, no, the sensor triggered it. They went off. It is perfectly measured. Great. And that, that is the magical solution to track limits. And you know how much cheaper that is versus setting up like six cameras at every corner to do this accurately? You could paint lines. There you go. That is my solution to track limits. Thank you, Lucas Degrassi. That was an incredible article. I will link it in the descriptions of everything because you should read his discussion of this. It needs to happen. So I've been yammering about track limits for too long, but I hope everyone learned something cool. And mostly, I hope everyone understands that this is a solvable solution. And if the FIA say otherwise, again, I will scream. Because even post-race, they've come out and they've said, oh, well, we told that they need Red Bull Ring, they need to put a gravel track there. The Red Bull Ring didn't want to put a gravel track there. It's like, but yeah, gravel's not the solution. And good job, FIA, trying to make it seem like it's not your fault. <laughs> I threw way too much information at you. Please. <laughs> what are you thinking? I'm sorry. No, I am honestly was so convinced that after hearing pressure tubes, I was like, yeah, of course, this has to be it because it just makes so much sense. Um, obviously, this, the paint and sensors, and then you can also say that the solution is lasers, which is not only more affordable, but sounds really cool. Right. So you, there you go. You just outlaid several very possible solutions so that we just don't have this. I mean, it will continue, like you said, but as a, as much of a frustrating aspect of, of, the, of the Grand Prix weekend, um, for track limits as, as it was this past weekend. So I'm all for it. Let's bring some lasers to F1. It's my favorite race of the year. Silverstone week. Oh my gosh. I'm so, so, so excited. I love Silverstone too. It's such a good track. It's so fun. And I'm putting on record ahead of time that even when Max wins this Grand Prix by a million seconds, I'm still like, I love Silverstone week. It's just, it's one of those really special tracks that's always a good time. Yeah, everyone loves Silverstone, and I agree. It's not like we're going in with any sort of extra magical hope, as fun as that would be. But it's fun to watch. It's some guaranteed good racing, I feel. All right, do you want the hopium? Oh, just give it to me. Give me the hopium. This track is incredibly sim similar to Spain. Uh, the Pirelli graphic visualizes this great. There's so much tire stress. They are bringing a new compound of tires that Aston Martin and Ferrari are very excited about because it should help their problems a little bit. But Mercedes is so great on its tires. This is a race designed to be good for that Mercedes car and how they design their cars. If you're looking for a good comparable of performance, if you're like, oh, I want to see how XYZ team might perform here, Barcelona. Go look at Barcelona. I will say it's raining on Saturday, which makes me upset. 
for all the reasons we say every week, which is like, why do we need another wet quality? Not another really... one. Global warming really needs to stop and go away. But uh, yeah, Pirelli graphic this week is basically just says rough on tires, which is why they're bringing their hardest compounds and why we're excited for Mercedes. Because if it's rough on tires, it's traditionally good for Mercedes. Yeah, that's going to be some great management we'll be able to see in. Gosh, I need a more positive Mercedes weekend than this past weekend. Oh, gosh. Oh, it's Lewis Hamilton week. Please be a good week. I will, uh, I, I realize I said very, like, passively, like, oh, and Pirelli's bringing new tires. Uh, if you haven't, if, you know, you're not a big tire nerd like me, uh, Pirelli builds their tires based on expectations of the amount of, like, car performance so just downforce that the cars and pressure the car the tires are under um they get information from the teams before the start of the year in the winter of like how much downforce the teams think they're going to be creating on their cars and they showed up at the beginning of the year and pirelli went oh you are all putting a lot more stress on these tires than we thought so the tires that it's basically a new construction i believe is the right way to say is what pirelli is bringing it should, it basically, the goal is to always have tires that don't explode because we do want tires that degrade because that's what creates strategy, uh, but they don't explode under the stress. So Pirelli's saying that there should be no change in their performance at all, and it's not going to be a factor for any of the teams. The reality is like we're dealing with such fine margins that there will be some effect on the teams, but all the teams got to try the new tires um, at Spain, actually, in a free practice. So no one, no team is coming in blind, not having run them before. I'm sure they've all simulated to high heavens what they're going to do. But that's what's happening this weekend. And it could affect things because Ferrari and Aston Martin that are not as good on their tires as the Mercedes team are very excited about these new tires being brought. So I'm sure they will help those teams a little bit. Ferrari's great with tires. What do you mean? <laughs> Yeah. The biggest wild card for me this weekend is McLaren. Like, how much uh, their upgrade, was it a fluke? Or was, like, was it Austria-specific? Because that track is very different than the track we're going to. So all the same reasons that I'm saying things shouldn't be quite as awful for Mercedes this week, I'm. it's the same reason I'm kind of skeptical of McLaren being amazing last week. Like, is Lando Norris just an Austria specialist? Or... Is that upgrade actually going to put them in the mix now? Did they jump Alpine? Like, Yeah, that's you, the big question. Things? I agree. I don't know where to be placing them just yet as well with, I mean, I think we're just starting to see like, maybe it is this upgrade or maybe it's not and or slightly and it's a combination of Lando's driving or different things like that. We've seen a little bit more of a push from Oscar, but I'm a- interested to see where that falls yet because i mostly just don't know where to be placing them when i'm trying to do predictions for races now an update on this so remember we reset points back to zero at summer break Um, i currently have 44 points nicole has 23. Um, this is the third weekend in a row where we (laughs) you and i only got max verstappen right 
after a really good streak for most of the season of like us getting other things correct in our predictions, uh, Spain, Canada, and Austria, the only things we've gotten right are Max Verstappen. So it's two points, two points, two points. <laughs> to be fair, you did guess in the end that McLaren was going to be the highest amount of points scoring for teams in the back of the grid. But that but was because you it. said you picked Avatar and I picked Williams. So then that's when you were like, oh, it's going to be McLaren because we didn't pick McLaren. So you if, were right, just not where it counts, which I'm appreciative look, because I need points. If you look back at my predictions, particularly from last week, I was like one position off for most things. Like, I think I did Esteban. We both did Esteban P8 in the sprint. I'm pretty sure he was P7. Like, yep. I picked... Alex, Alex for P10, he was P11. Like, it was, I picked Checo for P4, he was P3. Like, I had the most frustrating week of predictions where I was right because it's incredibly hard to get things that spot on. So, like, I was as in the ballpark as someone right could possibly right. be, but got no points for it. So it doesn't matter because everything is just, do you get points for it? So, yes, I'm, I'm decently far ahead here, but we have a reset coming in three races. And then we're back to square one. Holy moly, I can't believe that it's already three races and then it's halfway through. Uh -huh. But, wow. Wild. Okay, Nicole, who'd you pick as P1? Oh, week? wow. Plot twist to nothing and no one at all. As much as I still would love to change this, it's Max. I put Max. Max. It's Max. I have Max. So, I'm up by 19 points. Oh, three you're gonna races do a thing. To go. Oh, God. I'm picking Lewis. You said the thing. You did the thing. Oh, my God. I did the thing. Now, my That's sanity, sane brain, please no one bet off of my picks. Like, if you're, if you're for some reason listening to this and make, putting like money behind any of these, don't do it. But I don't need those two points. And yeah. I need positive vibes. And therefore, I think Lewis Hamilton is going to win the British Grand Prix during this, this year. I just, I think I need to clarify. I think Lewis Hamilton is going to win the British Grand Prix this year. Um, yeah, okay. You're welcome for giving you such a lead that you can have this fun of these picks. Uh -huh. That's that's basically all I'm going to say about that. Because as much as I really wanted to do that, I couldn't because I, I need, I'm trying to catch up in whatever way I can. I do think Mercedes is going to be better this weekend. Do I, do I think he's going to actually beat Max? I don't know, but I'm going to put it out in the universe that I think Lewis Hamilton is going to win the race this weekend. Okay. Really on who's edge now. That's who's your cool. P4? Um, my P4 is Fernando. I have Fernando there because I may be hoping that I need, I, again, I was doing that math of I have Lewis on the podium. I just needed to have max at p1 but i have lewis there somewhere and fernando can watch from p4 who do you have at p4 i have george okay i i also like i would like him to have a good home grand prix particularly after last year so oh, i think yeah. i think george yeah, uh, i, I will so i i want to give a, a little bit of a disclaimer here is that the way i did this is I did my actual predictions and then I just made Lewis P1. So the rest of these aren't like scaling off Lewis being P1. These are scaling off what I thought. I, I mm -hmm. don't know. I, I feel like putting that disclaimer out there is good. But yes, I have George P4. Everything's made up and the points don't matter. I mean, the points do matter, <laughs> right. but the points don't matter. <laughs> no, but it really matters that it, 
like on our podcast written for eternity i am saying that lewis hamilton is going to win this grand prix <laughs> i can't even say words i'm so nervous about that all right p7 my p7 i have lance for my p7 okay. i'm again avoiding talking about the horses again as i did last week i'm not gonna bring them up and i'm gonna keep every other team in my picks so i have lance in p7 how about well you? i do have the prancing horse in a p7 here and i have carlos Sainz as my p7 mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. fair very fair pick i'm just still mad at them so i'm just still not picking them they did me dirty <laughs> many weeks of them doing many weeks dirty. in a row as yeah. soon as i stop picking them they start showing up kind of in a way but not really but yeah <laughs> despite all the other things all right my p10 i'm picking i'm picking a driver i haven't actually picked this season yet i'm going with pierre gasly uh, uh, i feel like there definitely was an early on race that you picked oh, pierre yeah. at once we picked okay. there was definitely one race where you and i picked the french peens it may have not been for p10 though it might have been at another point um <laughs> But I picked Esteban, so ah. we're back at it again. I, oh, that's you, why yes, I feel right. like we've done this before. And the Battle of the French Peens in P10, yes. maybe. Yeah, it felt fun. It felt like Alpine was a good good pick back over there. It's likely that I feel like they're going to be in that like 7 to 10 spot. Yeah. They did well in Spain. I think they'll do better than they did this weekend. Mm -hmm. And I think, because I think they'll do better than they did this weekend, I think Esteban will be higher than P10. There we go. Yeah. All right. I I went with McLaren this week. I also the... went with McLaren. <laughs> I felt like such a dummy last week after just not, and as we're talking about it, it's going to be McLaren. We knew it. We felt it. Yeah. It, we we should have known, and we did. And now that and we picked them, it. it's not going to be McLaren which scores the most points at the bottom of the standings but right hey you know we'll see i at least if i get this one wrong i won't feel so silly as i did picking alphatari last week it's not just an f1 race week it's an f1 academy race week as well f1 academy heads to monza unlike our f1 predictions we do uh we get the points of whatever drivers we draft for the weekend. Uh, we both will draft three of the F1 Academy drivers. Uh, we can only pick two in the top seven, and then we have to pick one from the bottom half of the standings. At least we can pick more than one. And then, uh, yeah, at the at this point in the standings, I had a big week at round four in Zandvoort. I got 95 points, Nicole only got 28, so it puts the total standings after the two rounds we've done predictions for at 145 to 106, so still very close. Yes, but I am seeding my first pick so I can take pick two and three, so I'm giving Brianna first pick this time around. Okay, well, Hamza did an incredible job winning two races last week. And she seems to be on a roll. She's only five points behind in the total standings now. And it feels right that I pick her again. Like, I just want to keep riding the hot hand. Yeah, I also wanted you to decide, basically, who was going to go first so that then I can just decide uh, my next two based on, at least my second pick, based on whoever you, who, 
Yeah, every I, I knew you I were like, I don't want to have to do I was that. like, I don't want to have to decide between Hamda and Marta, who I'm definitely taking Marta as my second pick, and then Lena's going to be my third pick as the other backup. I remember last week you were debating whether or not to take Lena, and you were really distraught about not taking Lena, and I think she, you know. She it, had a good it, weekend. She showed me yeah. why I was, I should have uh, and uh, was debating to pick her. So this week I'm definitely keeping her in, in my picks. Okay. So for my next two picks, at least one of them needs to be in the bottom half of the standings. Mm-hmm. So they're in Monza this week, which is a weird circuit because it's just that big, long straight and little to no turns so I'm trying to look at their other tracks to see like who did well at a similar circuit like that so I'm gonna go with Emily and Bianca both had decent weekends in Barcelona which was another high-speed track so I think that's what I'm gonna go with I think that's very solid picks my next pick was going to be Bianca so I am gonna go with my next backup but still very happy to be picking her Carrie Schreiner so good picks i think i feel good it'll be exciting to see how their weekend goes in monza and getting a couple of different race instances is always interesting to see like you know multiple race winners i enjoyed that aspect of f1 academy so cool yeah yellow sector notes not the fastest walk around f1 but we will complete a full lap around the paddock hitting every f1 garage Master Stappen and Christian Horner are upset about the 2026 regulations that they have seen so far. Carlos Sainz is right that the strategy calls for his race were dreadful. The only person able to complain as much as Carlos Sainz about the strategy during the Austrian GP was Lance Stroll with his three pit stops. Lewis Hamilton has a special British GP hat. It is neon similar to last year. He says he does that because he likes to be able to see all the fans as he drives by. Esteban Ocon ran the initial and ran initials on his car for Diallo von Hoof after his death in a crash at Spa this weekend. We do know we didn't actually get into it or discuss it. Honestly, selfishly, I'm still processing it. I hate Spa. I hate it every year. Just change the corner, please. Thank you. Gunther continues to publicly criticize the FIA for their inconsistency despite the fine he received for his last public statements. This time he was criticizing their... Uh, inconsistency penalizing for impeding during this past weekend, which was inconsistent. Audi has announced its first development driver as they continue to ramp up towards their 2026 F1 entry. AlphaTauri are in talks with title sponsors for next year. Team principal Franz Toast told reporters that that is the reason they're likely not going to go back to Toro Rosso. Scream, cry, we're all upset about it. Toro Rosso was probably the funniest name in all of F1 in my opinion. McLaren will have a special livery at Silverstone this week. It is chrome. They advertised it. Like, this is meant to harken back to the one they ran from 06 to 04, notably with Lewis Hamilton. But instead of the red color, it's orange. And it's actually just a big Google Chrome advertisement. So it's lame, in my opinion. I mean, I'm happy there's chrome. Like, but you can't advertise that you're going to do a throwback livery and then not do the throwback livery, in my personal opinion. But it looks like we'll they're just trying that. to save money cost on paint is like how when I saw that I was like, okay, <laughs> like this just looks like you're trying to cut corners here and save your weight cost and save money because of paint. 
the reality is, like most things, the answer is that the FIA only lets teams completely change their livery and not just the secondary colors of their livery once a season. And McLaren has already done that at the Monaco GP. So apparently all they could do was leave the papaya. But I think the reality is the marketing team thought that they could market this as like, oh, it's this throwback thing, but it's not a throwback thing. And that just left most fans like me disappointed because I would love to see the car that Lewis Hamilton won the world, his first world championship in going back around the track because it was a cool livery, but this is not that. Williams will also run a special livery this weekend in honor of their 800th Grand Prix entry. Reminder that this is their 799th due to the cancellation of the Imola GP, but the livery they will run will be in homage to late founder Sir Frank Williams. We actually haven't seen a picture of what their livery is yet. When you're all listening to this, we probably should have seen it in the pit lane. Uh, but because the analogy was canceled, and even though this is now just their 799th Grand Prix, they wanted to keep most of their celebrations for their home Grand Prix, which I think is a really good move. So that is the grid walk for Sir Lewis Hamilton Week completed. How's my sector time today, Nicole? Faster than the FA wasn't reviewing all of the track limit violations from this past weekend. So low bar. <laughs> Thank you so much to voiceover man. Thank you to the greatest of all time, the, the goat of goats, Sir Lewis Hamilton. Happy Sir Lewis Hamilton week. And to our four-legged executive producers. If you are an audio listener, don't forget to follow, turn on your auto downloads, rate and view the pod. It'll take you two seconds to make our entire week. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe, like the video, turn on post notifications, leave us a comment. Let us know which one of the tracks and track limit solutions you heard today was your favorite. All of these things really, really help other people find our podcast and we sincerely appreciate you doing them. Do you know that we put out F1 content daily? Every single day you can get a grid walk with us on any of the social media platforms that you use. You can find us at Gridwalk Show and we will be back to walk the Formula One grid. We will be back to walk the Formula One grid every Thursday and we sincerely hope you join us. But today felt like a grid celebration of Lewis and not a grid walk. Lewis Hamilton!